Well, Rocky Peak, some of you are aware this is a very special weekend in the life of our church. As this weekend, we're officially welcoming back Pastor Joel Enyart and his family to our staff, to this stage, as he's going to be uh, part of the teaching team alongside myself and Michael, but also back to our Rocky Peak community. I want to take a few moments and just reintroduce Joel to us. And so, Richard, you can throw that first picture up there. So, Joel and his wife, Christy, they're two awesome uh, teenage girls, Indy and Brooklyn. Joel, over a decade, decade ago served here at Rocky Peak for several years and then uh, the Lord provided some opportunities. He served in Canada and then he was up recently in the Bay Area. And so actually, Richard, if you go to the next one, so this is one of their Canadian pictures, and they're trying not to they're trying not to freeze to death as you look in there. And so Joel is coming to lead uh, what's going to be launching our singles ministry. Chrissy's actually joining our staff as well. But one of the beautiful things about this opportunity I have right now is the most difficult thing for me as I've been thinking about how to reintroduce Joel is not standing up here for several hours because there is so much that I'm enamored about with Joel Enyart. Like I mentioned, I got to serve alongside of him for many, many years when he was here at Rocky Peak. My wife, Megan, actually got to work with him as well. And through that, we not only served alongside each other, we learned how to share life together. We became deep, deep friends. And his character, his humility, his listening and following to the Lord has left a significant impact. And there's one just story I want to leave with you. Several years ago, I remember sitting at lunch with some other key volunteers, other people that serve here at Rocky Peak. And this was already several years after Joel had been called to a different opportunity. And somehow the topic of Joel came up. And leader after leader talking about how his character his teaching, his leadership had made a deep impact in them. That I remember after that lunch, I came back to my office and I just shot him an email going, Joel, I am so, so thankful for you and how the Lord has used you and you've been, has gotten your yes to be used powerfully in ministry. And I remain thankful and I'm so thankful that the Lord has called him to this next season here at Rocky Peak. So without further ado, give him a welcome, Joel Enyart. Hello, Rocky Peak. It's so good to come home. Oh, man, our family, we've been on this epic adventure, almost a decade-long adventure. And, and, and let me tell you, if Jesus ever calls you to something, say yes. It will freak you out. It will change your life, but it's worth it because he is so good and he's got life for us. And we're just so grateful that this sojourn we've been on, that, that God's kind of let us come full circle and come back home, because you've always been in our heart. In the coldest of winters, when it was minus 30, you were in our heart. <laughs> oh, and so I just like for Christy and I, it just it feels like we've come home, and our girls are so excited. La last weekend was actually our first time back coming into the campus, and we are so excited to get here to be a part of this. So Saturday night, we're driving in, and our oldest daughter's driving now, and so we let her take a car so that she could go find some friends and hang out with them afterwards. And so we're all pulling up to the campus here for the Saturday service. And she sees one of her good friends already there that like she hadn't seen since they were like six years old. So she and Brooklyn, they just jump out of the car and they start talking with their friends. They go to the high school service. We come in here and we're a part of the Saturday service. And then we find each other afterwards. And we're like, girls, how was it? And she's like, dad, I was so excited to get here that I left the keys in the car and I left it running the entire service. <laughs> And I'm doing the math in my head, like that was an expensive service. <laughs> but can I just tell you, that's, that's our heart right now. We're just so full to be back with you, so excited. So thank you for letting us come home and being a part of this with you. Oh, so we've actually been journeying with you for several weeks now, as we've been living up in Northern California for a move. We've been taking part, watching the Saturday night service and just enjoying the journey as we're going through Corinthians. And then this last little bit in the series, Whole Heart, like it, how do we really give God all of us so we can experience him unleashing his power in our lives? And, and I remember talking to Dre on the phone several weeks ago, and he was just unpacking this series that God had put on his heart, realizing I would get to teach this week. And it was so fun to just talk that out with him to see what God was doing. And so I, I want to spend a little bit of time before we jump into this week to just recap a little bit of the last couple of weeks with you. And, and I just want to say, especially like those of you joining us online, here's what I want to tell you right now. If you are of sound body right now, you need to get back to the room. Here's why. 
We were so enjoying watching the Saturday service in our time there, but when we came here last weekend and we stepped into it with all of you, something powerful just takes place when we're gathered together in his name, experiencing him move in us. And yes, God can meet you anywhere. That's the beautiful thing about God. But there's something really powerful about when we come together as his church. And so if you're a soundbody, I get it. Some of us are still on the journey of figuring it out, but hey, some of you just got a little lazy. So it's time to come home. Get back in the room. And if you're not of sound mind, welcome. That's why we're all here, right? Like, come on, Jesus, help us, please. And so I just want to encourage you, come back. Let's get into this together. Keep growing together as a church. And so I want to spend a little bit of time just unpacking the last first two weeks of this series, but kind of share it from the perspective of some things that Dre was teaching that hit me. Because I'm not simply here as a leader in our church. I'm also here as a learner with you to see what God wants to do in our stories. And so I love some of the things that we saw in this. So on your message notes, there's a section, just series recap, I think is what it's called. I'm also learning, like, re, like someone asked, are you excited? And I'm like, yeah, it's like I'm getting back on a bike I, I used to ride, but it's a really tricked out bike now. So if I forget some things along the way, I'm learning how to like do this with you again. So, right, so there on your message notes, some things to follow along. But the week one, a big idea, something that Dre was talking about that just jumped out is this idea that repentance is beautiful. And I remember as he was sharing that, just kind of being struck, because that's a big word. That's a heavy word. And, and I think sometimes, especially for those of us that grew up with, with a, what I would just maybe call a heavy religious background, when you think about the word repentance, you don't necessarily think, oh, that's beautiful. Like when you think about the word repentance, you think about, oh, that's when I have to go and sit in that cubby hole and talk to that person through the screen, and it's really awkward. And it's not necessarily something that we see as a beautiful thing. And yet the reality is when we understand what repentance is, it's beautiful. Because repentance is our response to Jesus' leadership in our lives. Repentance is this idea of turning from something towards something better. And when Jesus calls us to follow him, he's calling us into a life of repentance where I will actually turn from my old life, my old ways, my old thinking, my old behavior, and I will turn to him and let him begin to lead me in life. And it's a lifelong journey that we do. And it's about a heart posture toward Jesus. That I look to him and I say, Jesus, you're my leader now. And so take me where you want to go because you have a life for me. And it's a beautiful thing as he begins to work in our story. And repentance, it's not just about our bad stuff, though it definitely is. You know what I mean? And we got some of that in the story? Yeah, all right. So it's not just about turning from the bad stuff. It's also about turning our whole life to him. And so it's surrendering every area of my life, not holding back pieces of me from him, but by saying, Jesus, I'm going to give you all of me. But there, that can be scary at times because to surrender your life to Jesus means to come to him on his terms and that can freak us out. I, I remember years ago when I was the college pastor here at Rocky Peak, we were working, like we just meet with the college students on Sunday nights and we just have this great time. And there was this, this young woman that started coming and it was so amazing to watch as Jesus got a hold of her life and he began to transform her story as she was coming out of some serious darkness. And I remember one night we're just hanging out afterwards and she just came up and she said, Joel, I... I'm really kind of scared right now. And she's like, well, t tell me what's going on. And she's like, I I'm scared because I really am enjoying what Jesus is doing, but I'm afraid that if I keep going with him, I'm going to disappear. And I was like, oh, I, I, I get what you're saying, but, but I think maybe you, you, you misunderstand what Jesus wants to do in your life. Jesus doesn't want to erase you. He wants to unleash you. Like he, he wants to actually help you become the greatest you you could ever dream of being. Like, like the you that you long to be? You know, you know who that person is? Do you ever see that person? And you're like, I want to be that person, but I get in the way. And Jesus is like, yeah, I'll help you become that person because I've come to set you free. And repentance is beautiful because it allows us to step into that. And as we repent and live a lifestyle of repentance, it actually positions us to begin to experience God at work in our lives. And I love how God speaks about this, this whole idea of turning to him with all of us. In Jeremiah 29, 13, he's speaking through this ancient prophet. And he says these words. God says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. When you bring all of you to me, God says, the good, the bad, the ugly, that's when you begin to find me and I change the story. 
And so I love this idea that as we begin to live this life, we begin to offer our whole heart to him. God begins to show up and his power is unleashed in us. And a beautiful thing begins to happen because when God begins to move in your life, he's so big, you can't contain him. And he begins to spill out in the world around you. And as Jesus begins to work in your story, it's like, this is too good to keep just to myself. And a natural thing begins to happen. And Dre was sharing this with us last week. And I love this. The big idea that stood out to me was this, that Jesus' power unleashes us to be his witnesses. And again, that's an interesting word when you think about it. Like when you think about what is a witness, like if you think about it in like a legal courtroom, a witness is somebody who testifies to the truth. And so there's all sorts of witnesses. Like you'll get a witness, like an expert witness. They're an authority on a subject and they're speaking to it. Or you'll get a character witness that will show up. And I think sometimes we hear that word witness and it has a weight that we feel like, I don't know if I can do that. Like I remember years ago, somebody telling me like that, I remember hearing this teacher speak and, and they were saying things like, if you ever get on an airplane and you don't talk about Jesus with the person sitting next to you before that plane lands, you have failed. And I was like, oh, I'm a horrible person because I'm an introvert, right? Like the last thing I want to do is talk to another human being when I'm on an airplane. And suddenly I'm like, ah, and it's like, well, no, maybe, maybe that's not what it means to be a witness. Like maybe a witness means you just live the, your life the best you know how and let it overflow to people around you. Like maybe the best witness could be like if the plane's crashing, I'll put their oxygen mask on first and then mine, <laughs> despite what they say, right? Like Maybe that's what it means, but there's just this beautiful idea that, that this, and Dre said this last week, and I just, as he said it, I'm like, yes. He said, as followers of Jesus, witnessing is who we are because it's meant to flow out of our lives. It's not just something we do out of obligation. As Jesus begins to work in our lives, as his spirit moves, it just flows out of us into the relationships around us. And if that freaks you out, and if you don't know what to do, Awesome. Let him meet you in those moments and guide and lead you. Years ago, I had this experience here on our campus. We were getting ready for the Good Friday services and I, I was speaking at those. So I was here a little bit early, just prepping and getting ready. And then somebody calls from the front office and they call like, hey, Joel, there's somebody that just showed up and, and they want to talk to a pastor. And I was like, well, why are you calling me? <laughs> I'm like, well, we can't find any of the other pastors on campus today. And I'm like, those lazy bums. Like, I'm here working on the message. Where, like, where are they right now? And I'm like, oh, fine. Because I'm a spiritual person, right? Like, <laughs> fine. And so I go out and I just, I just meet this guy. I've never met him before, which again, introverts love those moments. And we just sit down in the lobby and he just starts to tell me, like his life had literally fallen apart. Like his family, his career, like everything that, like this was breaking down to the core and he's there and he's just weeping and raw and just asking the question, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? And I just remember, I looked at him and I'm like, dude, I don't know. And he looks at me and goes, then why am I even here? And in that moment, I, I felt so ineffectual. Like, what am I supposed to say to this guy? And I'm a professionally trained pastor. And I just told him like, like dude, all I can tell you is the reason I'm here and this whole campus is here and people gather here is because we found this dude, Jesus, and he's doing something really good in our stories. And, and all I can do in that moment is tell him what I know. There's this person, Jesus, and sometimes that just sounds so cheesy. But for him, he's just like, I, I wanna know more. And so I'm like, come back tonight. There's gonna be a whole group of people here and the guy shows up and then he meets somebody, randomly bumps into somebody who's a part of our Celebrate Recovery program who's sharing some of the same story this guy's having. And God syncs them together and he gets a hold of this guy's story. And it was all, all I had to do in that moment was just point him further down the journey towards Jesus. And that's what it is sometimes. That what God is doing in your story spills out to the people around you and you don't have to have all the answers. Yeah, we can learn good answers. Yeah, there's stuff we can grow in our faith. Our faith is intellectually sound, but you don't have to be the Bible answer person. Just share the truth you've discovered. How has Jesus changed your story? Because if somebody's leaning in already, God's already at work in the story, and he's just bringing you in to help nudge that person further down the road. And so just play that part. And I'm like, I can do that. Awkward introverts can be used by Jesus. There's such hope for us. <laughs> Obnoxious extroverts, you can still be used to. You just got to tone them down sometimes. 
And I, I love what we see happening in the, the, the story of Jesus and his first followers as they're beginning to encounter Jesus. And Jesus is just calling them, hey, come follow me. And, and they're just starting to step into this new life. They don't have a clue. They're like, this is this awesome rabbi teacher, but they, they don't have a clue of who he is yet, but they just know he's doing something really awesome in their story. And in John's account of the life of Jesus, we see this incredible moment that Jesus calls this guy Philip to come follow him. And, and Philip is so excited about what he's found by Jesus, he goes to his friend Nathaniel, and he's like, Nathaniel, I think we found him, like the one we've been looking for, this, this Messiah that our people have been longing for for generations. I think we found him. It's this guy Jesus from Nazareth. And look at Nathaniel's response there in your notes, John 1, Nathaniel says this, Nazareth, can anything good come from there? He's not buying it. And, and I love Philip's response. Because his response isn't, well, let me show you from our ancient scriptures how the prophecies are fulfilled by the one who will come from Nazareth. Like, I love Philip's response. Bro, come and see. Come and see. And how easy of an invitation is it to do that when somebody's in that place of seeking, whether because they're hurting or they're struggling or they're angry or they're excited. All we have to do is say, come and see. And when Nathaniel meets Jesus, Jesus takes it over from there. And Nathaniel's life has changed. And I love this idea that as we begin to give our whole heart to him, we begin to experience him at work in our story, flowing through us to the lives of people around us. And so today we're going to wrap up this series. Next we're going to jump back into the Corinthian series that we've been in. But today we're going to wrap it up. And what I want to talk with us about today is is this key ingredient that I think is so important in our lives that when it's at work, when it's at play, it actually enables us and empowers us to give our whole heart to Jesus. And yet it's such a key ingredient that when it's missing, it makes it really hard. Like, so if you've ever like baked something, you can miss a few ingredients along the way and it's okay, but there are some ingredients that if you miss it, whatever you baked, don't give it to another person, right? It's like, it's like that important. This ingredient is like that. And so I, I want to just begin to unpack that with you because I think it's important that we grasp this and see that we can have this at work in our life. Because I, I don't know if you're anything like me, but when it comes to following Jesus, have you discovered this about yourself? That sometimes it's really easy to be fickle as a follower of Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Because like following Jesus is awesome when life is going well. Like when the sun is shining and the birds are singing, I'm like, I'm with you, Jesus, this is great. But you change that story just a little bit, life goes awry, it suddenly doesn't go the way I want, and I am the first one to say, and now I'm out. Because my heart is fickle. Is it just me? Come on. You have not had coffee yet, okay. <laughs> See, when it comes to our pursuit of Jesus, if I'm going to trust him, if I'm going to give him all of me, if I'm going to give my whole heart to him and experience his power at work in my life, I need the hope of something greater in my story than however I find myself on any given day. I need that. I think you need it because it's not always an easy life. I need the hope of something greater than when the dark days take over, when suddenly the sun is disappeared and all those birds are dead on the ground. I need the hope of something greater at work in my story. I need the hope of something greater in my story, something that's even greater than my best days, that outshines the good days, because sometimes it's not my bad days that take me out. Sometimes it's when life is going good, and I'm like, thank you, Jesus, I'll take it from here. Like, I need the hope of something greater that outshines the good, that I still keep my heart towards him. Like, Jesus, as good as this is, you're still greater. I need the hope of that. I need something that will strengthen me in every moment of life, every season of life, because a fickle heart needs a greater hope. A greater hope. And in the scriptures, we get glimpses of what this hope can be. And one of the, the ancient scriptures we have there's this leader named Nehemiah and God is using Nehemiah to help restore the people because they had been beaten down for generations. And so God calls Nehemiah, he goes back to the holy city of Jerusalem, they begin to rebuild the wall, they begin to reclaim their identity as a people because what had happened in their story, if you read the story of the ancient people of Israel, you see this incredible dance between them and God. 
So there'll be like generations where they're like, you're awesome, God. And then generations are like, we don't like you, God. We're gonna do our own thing. And it was like this back and forth for generations. And God had said, walk with me and follow me. You'll experience my blessing in life. But if you turn from me, it's not gonna go well for you. And you just saw this happen generationally and generationally until finally it's like, God's okay, my hand of protection is here. You make your own choice. And then they just get taken out. And so now they're at a point where God's beginning to restore them because they're responding. And so this beautiful thing happens. They rebuild the wall around their city and they gather all the people together to celebrate and they actually find the ancient scriptures, God's words to them. And they begin to read them over the people, God's heart, God's intention. And they are cut to the heart because they're realizing, oh my gosh, if only we had listened to these words, we would not have had to go through all this. Our ancestors wouldn't have made these mistakes. We wouldn't be where we're at. And I love Nehemiah's response as they're, as they're emoting in their response to this. And in Nehemiah 8.10, and we see this missing ingredient right here. And Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. And I love this. Because a lot of times when you think about religious stuff, you think like when you're feeling guilty, religious leaders now just heap on the guilt, right? And here's Nehemiah. He's like, no, no, no. St- this party. Let's celebrate because God's doing something. This is an awesome moment. And, it's, and take care of those around you that don't have anything. And so he goes on and he says, this day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is our strength. And friends, that's the ingredient that we need in our story. This fickle heart needs a greater hope that there is joy in my story, no matter what the circumstances is. And catch this. Whose joy is it? It's not my joy. It's the Lord's joy. It's the joy of the Lord that is our strength. And catch this because it's gonna be so important as we press into this today. Because this fickle heart needs a greater hope because I can try to muster my own joy, but it doesn't always last. But if there's a greater joy that's being given to me, I might have a chance. And so I love this. And so as we jump in, I just wanna, I wanna just contrast for just a moment here. Like, the, like talk a little bit about joy and, and compare it to what I would just call mere happiness. Because yes, those two interface for sure. Happiness is absolutely a part of joy, but joy is actually greater than just experiencing happiness. There's, so, there's a hope in that reality. Because I, I don't know about you, but I like being happy. Is it just me? Yeah, like some of you are like, no, you, you, like you enjoy it when you're happy. You actually enjoy the person sitting next to you when they're happy too, right? I like you a lot more when you're a happy person, right? Like you can talk about that later today, but there's just that reality. So happiness is not a bad thing, but here's the reality about that. Experiencing happiness is, is sometimes it's a pretty frail thing. Like it's almost as if happiness is fickle sometimes too. And the reason why is because happiness is set up and determined and tied to and dependent upon our circumstances. Which is why in the same day, I can be so happy and then be spun when the circumstance turns and suddenly be devastated and broken. And yet here's the incredible thing, joy is different than that. Joy transcends circumstances because it's actually dependent on something else. Joy is actually dependent upon the one from whom joy flows. Because whose joy is it? His joy. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. And there's a hope for us in that. So come what may, we can find this joy, we can experience this joy, because ultimately joy doesn't come from our circumstances. And joy doesn't actually come from us. It comes from him. And it's a beautiful thing that Jesus tells us. He says that when we begin to give our lives to him and trust him, when we step into this new life he has for us, he said that he would send his spirit to come and be a part of our story. That the spirit of God would begin to move within us and transform us from the inside out and give us things that we don't have on our own. Paul describes these things as the fruit of the spirit. He writes about this in Galatians 5. And one of those things is joy, that the Spirit will produce joy in us. And there's a hope in that because it means like, hey, that's your department. That's your responsibility in my life, so I need you to show up and help me figure out this joy. And I love it because Jesus will talk about this. Jesus will talk about the reality of this joy, and Jesus actually shows us what it looks like to walk in the hope of this joy in his own life. 
which is why we look to him as our leader, why we look to him to help us understand. And so as we jump into this today, we're gonna spend some time looking at some of his words because I think it will help us understand this more. And so as we do this, I, wanna, I just wanna pray for us as we go into this time right now. So would you just pray with me wherever you're at? And if you don't know what prayer is, just let me say these words and you can agree with them or say, I don't know. <laughs> That's totally cool. But Lord, we're here in this moment because we believe that you are good. We believe that you have life for us. We believe that you've come to, to do something new in the story, in our story. And so here in this moment, I, I would just ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you wanna show us, what you wanna say to us. And so Lord, we, we wanna posture ourselves before you in this time to say, okay, we're, we're open and we're listening and you have permission to speak to us today. You have permission to say what we need to hear even if it's not what we want to hear. You have permission to show us something that maybe needs to change or something that we need to grab onto because we believe that whatever you wanna do will always be for our good. And so we come before you today asking you to move in this place. Amen, amen. All right, so Jesus is having this conversation with his first followers. It's taking place in one of the accounts of his life. One of his good friends, John, writes one of the four accounts that we have of his life. John, we call it the gospel, because gospel means good news. And so John writes one of these gospels. And so in the story, in this conversation we're gonna jump into, Jesus is having this conversation with his first followers. He knows things are about to get crazy because they're, they're about to experience him going to the cross. He's about to experience this for himself. And so this story takes place in John 16. And we're gonna see Jesus having this conversation with them. And we're, so we're kind of jumping into a middle of a bigger conversation. And so he's trying in this moment to prepare them for what's about to go down. Because he knows it's gonna get crazy. He knows that the cross is before him. He knows it's hard. Now I'm thinking, and if I'm Jesus in this moment and I know this is coming, I'm making it all about me and I'm asking you to take care of me. And yet what I love about Jesus is his heart is for them. Even though he knows this is about to go, he's trying to prepare them to get ready for what's to come. And so he's saying all sorts of things. He's promising this other comforter, the Holy Spirit, who's gonna come. It's this beautiful dialogue and conversation. If you've never read it, I encourage you to read the bigger story. But in this moment, what Jesus is saying, like, hey, hey guys, in a little while, you're not gonna see me. But then in a little while, you'll see me again. And they are totally confused. Like, what are you talking about? Like, are we playing hide and seek? Like, Jesus, help us understand what you're saying. This doesn't make sense. And so here's what we see as we jump into the story. John 16, 19, Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this. So he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? And I love this because Jesus is like, I, I wanna help you understand. I, I love it, that's always his desire. He wants to help us understand. We don't always get it, <laughs> but he's always wanting to help us understand. So he's like, okay, let, let me explain. Very truly, I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. If there's ever a moment where you don't want Jesus just to stop, this is one of those, I'm, I'm like, I hear this and I'm like, Jesus, I don't know if you know how to actually give pep talks. <laughs> like, did you read Dale Carnegie's book, like, How to Win Friends and Influence? Like, this, this is like, I, I, like, this is not how it works. Like, what are you talking about? And yet Jesus is helping them understand some important things. And I, I like, Jesus, I need you to keep talking because honestly, this is a tough sell right now. And so he does though, he keeps talking. He says, you will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. And I love this because Jesus is acknowledging the reality that there is gonna be pain in this world. There's gonna be pain in the story, but here's the hope. Pain does not have the final word. There's a greater day coming and it will turn to joy. And so he goes on to help them understand this. And he says, a woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. I watched my wife do this twice. I thought we were done after the first one because I was in the room. I was done just watching what happened in that moment. But I remember the moment she held our oldest daughter in her arms and she just looks at me, I'm like, oh, we're gonna do this again, aren't we? 
I'm like, you just don't remember what you went through. That's the power of joy. It's so great that it actually overrides, overwrites, releases, heals the pain. And that's what Jesus is helping them understand. And so he says, so with you, now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice and no one will take away your joy. Like Jesus knew that a greater day was coming, a day that would be so powerful that it would somehow speak into the present and empower them to walk toward that future. And so he goes on. He says, in that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly, I tell you, my father will give you whatever you ask in my name. And that was because Jesus is echoing some of the things he'd been saying earlier in this conversation, this promise that the Holy Spirit was gonna come into their lives to guide them and lead them. Like at this point in the story, if they wanted to know anything about the Father, they had to like talk to Jesus specifically. And Jesus is like, that's awesome. But I'm telling you, the Spirit's gonna be in you. And if you ask for things in my name as that Spirit's at work in your story, God's gonna hear you. You have direct access to the Father now. And there's something beautiful about what he's talking about. There's this hope that as the Spirit begins to work in us, guiding us and leading us, the Spirit's job is to coordinate our lives with God so that we begin to walk in alignment with him. And we begin to pray in alignment with the Father's will, stuff gets done because he actually wants to work in our story. There's this beautiful hope that we have. And so Jesus goes on, he says, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. And I love this because Jesus is painting this picture for them that life is gonna be hard, but there's a greater hope coming. There's a greater day coming, and it's not just then, it's actually now. You can begin to experience it in the story now. And so I just want to spend some time talking about a couple of things that flow out of what Jesus is saying here that can help us with this ingredient of joy that, that when joy shows up in our story, we can give our whole heart to him no matter what we're experiencing in life. And so here's something that flows out of this that I think we need to understand. Joy is not without pain. And I think we gotta be willing to just at least grab hold of that reality because we need to understand this. Otherwise, we will get unnecessarily spun when things don't go the way we want. It's easy to cry foul when pain shows up. And yet here's the reality. Jesus never promised us an easy life. He promised us a victorious life. You read the end of this chapter here in John 16 and Jesus says, I'm telling you these things so that in me you'll have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Like when we're walking with Jesus, we're walking with the one who overcomes. His victory is now our victory. Pain doesn't have the final word as he shows up in us. And we need to hold on to this reality so we do not give up when it gets hard. See, pain does not preclude us from the reality of experiencing the joy that Jesus is talking about. That we can experience the reality of joy even in the hard moments of life. The reality of his joy in our lives. And that gives hope to this dude's fickle heart. When things don't go the way I want, that I can still have joy at work in my story. Because what Jesus is talking about here, I want. Because here's the reality of this joy. Joy is greater than anything. Whatever comes my way, whatever's going on, there's a hope that we can have of this greater day that's coming that will outshine whatever today brings us. And it's not some hollow hope like pie in the sky in the sweet by and by. This hope that he's talking about is a transcendent kind of reality. It's supernatural as he works in our story. It's a hope that we have of this future moment that somehow comes into our present moment and empowers us with whatever we're going through. It's a hope that meets us in today and propels us towards that future so that we know today doesn't have the final word. It's a joy that empowers us. And I need to not lose sight of this hope because when I do, that's when I start to take myself back. Like when it doesn't go the way I want. When we say yes to Jesus and we move our family to the heart of Canada and then it's minus 30 for five months straight. I'm like, what the bleep? Like Jesus, like what? I said yes and I thought it was gonna be awesome and this ain't awesome. What's going on? 
And in those moments, it's so easy to say, I, I, I want me back. I don't know if I can trust you anymore. Like I sang the song, take the wheel, but I want to kick you out at the next stop and take it back. Like, <laughs> like, Jesus, what are you doing? But it's not simply that I want to take myself back. It's that I, I begin to wonder, can I, can I still trust you with other pieces of my life that I'm still wrestling with? Like, because if I don't like what you're doing, it's this part of my life. How, how can I even hope to begin to trust you with other pieces of me? Like, how can I trust you with my singleness? How can I trust you with my sexuality? How can I trust you with my finances? How can I trust you with my relationships? How can I trust you with forgiving those people that have hurt me when I don't like what you're doing right now? And it's hard, and it's like when I lose sight of this greater hope, the hope that there can be joy in my story now, that's when my fickle heart starts to show up. And it causes me to wonder, can I give you all of me? And I know when my fickle heart's at play because there's always this edge of cynicism that begins to show up in me. And it usually surfaces with this kind of a statement. When I hear people saying the things we're talking about today, I will say something like this. Well, that's easy for you to say. You know what I mean? Like when somebody's just talking about this, like there's times where like I, joyful people can annoy me sometimes, right? I'm just like, are you serious right now? What? No, I don't want you near me. And it's just like, that's easy for you to say. You don't know my story. You don't know what I'm facing right now. You don't know what I've gone through. Can I, can I just like poke at that for a moment? Let, let me, like that, that phrase that's easy for you to say, let, let me just talk about it just for a minute, more from like just an intellectual standpoint of what that phrase means. So I'm going to take the emotion out for a moment, but we're going to come back to it in a moment. But when, when somebody says, when I say, well, that's easy for you to say, what I mean is like, I don't think that can be true. But here's the reality. Something's true or not. It's not dependent on whether or not it's easy to say. Like two plus two is four. That's easy for you to say. Well, I, it's either it's true or it's not. Just because I might find it difficult to say doesn't mean it's not true. I have to wrestle with, is this true or not? But then there's times where all of my heart and my emotions get tangled in it. And that, that's really the issue going on in that moment. It's like, I, I used to believe that once upon a time, but right now I don't know if I can believe it. And I'm struggling with this and I don't understand it. And it's easy for you to say because you've lived an easy life. And here's what I want to say in this moment. I'm not saying this as original content. I'm simply trying to reflect the reality of what Jesus has said. And so if we're going to really wrestle with Jesus, let's bring our, well, that's easy for you to say to Jesus and look at his life. Because Jesus doesn't say these things having lived a privileged, easy life that didn't know hardship. Jesus is saying these things as he's about to go to the cross. Jesus is saying these things knowing what's in front of him, knowing what he's about to go through. And yet he's still talking about the reality of joy at work in the story. And I love this as we look at that because Jesus doesn't say these things without having lived them himself, without having experienced the reality, which means that we can look to him as a picture of hope as we try to walk this out in our own lives. That we look to Jesus to help us, the hope of experiencing a greater joy in our lives today, regardless of what we're going through. And I love what we see here in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 12, one of the early Christian leaders is just writing and reflecting on the reality of what Jesus went through and what he's done for us. And I love what he says here in Ephesians 12, one through three. And he writes these words. He says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, Man, I, I love the imagery of what this is bringing up. It's almost like, like we're living this journey trying to follow after Jesus and yet we're not the only ones in this journey. Like there's, this, there's the generations that have gone before us and now they've stepped into that beautiful moment. It's almost like they're standing around and we're in the, we're in the stadium and they're just cheering us on. Like keep going, keep going. I love this visual. He goes, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. And see, the, the reason that we look to Jesus is because he's the one who's blazing the trail for us. 
He's the one who's making it possible for us to step back into this new life that God wants to give us. The reason we look to Jesus is because he said about himself, Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And he shares those words to give us the hope that when we find Jesus, we found it. I found what I'm looking for. I found the one who can bring me back into life. And so we look to Jesus as the one who leads us in life. He's our example of how to do it, but he's also our leader, which is why we listen to him when he talks to us about life. And so we look to him. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith, for the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. And see, we listen to Jesus and we look to Jesus to help us. And those words, those words are so simple, but they carry so much weight. He endured the cross. Because the cross was not a simple thing. What he endured to bring us into life was incredible. And we're told about it. We, we see this in the stories of his life in the Gospels. We're, we're, we're told that, that after this night, as he's hanging out with his friends, they're heading back to go to the place where they were staying, and they stop at this garden where Jesus would oftentimes spend time praying when he would visit Jerusalem. And so they're there in the middle of the night praying, and Jesus kind of peels off from his crew to pray and to wrestle with the Father. And we're told that in this moment, he's praying to the Father, and he's asking this question, hey, is there any other way we can do this besides me going to the cross? Is there any other way we can rescue the human race without me going to the cross? And he asks this three times as he's wrestling with his father. And yet each time he says, not my will be done, but yours. And in Luke's account of his life, we're told that he's in so much angst, wrestling over what's about to come, that he's actually sweating and blood is flowing from his sweat. That's how much angst he's in. He endured the cross. And then we're told that when he goes to the cross, it wasn't simply the physical brutality of what he experienced, but it was also the mental and spiritual anguish of what was being placed upon him. And we're told, Matthew will tell us that when he's on the cross, Jesus will cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because for the first time in his existence, he was separated from the Father. And in that moment, he experienced the separation we all have because of our turning from God. And Jesus embraced that for our sake. He endured the cross. And then I love what it says here. He endured the cross, scorning its shame. It's almost as if Jesus is looking at the darkness, he's looking at the brokenness, and there's a defiance in him towards it. Is that all you got? Bring it on me. And we look at this and we realize that in that moment, there was no joy in the cross. But Jesus was looking to a greater moment beyond the cross so that he could endure and he could scorn the shame because the cross was a shameful way to die. It wasn't just a brutal way. It was a shameful way because it was a symbol of defeat and failure. When Rome wanted to tell you you lost, they crucified you. They strung you up so everyone could see this guy didn't do it right. And there on the cross, Jesus is experiencing this shame, this failure, this defeat, this disgrace. He's experiencing it for us. Because on the cross, he took it. He took all of it upon himself. He embraced it on the cross. He embraced our disgrace and our shame and our failure so we could be set free. Anyone have some shame in their story? Anyone have some stuff that you're kind of embarrassed about? Some disgrace over choices you've made, mistakes you've made, things that you've done, sometimes even with the best of intentions, sometimes not. And yet here's the hope that when we find Jesus, we realize, wait, you took all of that? So that's, that's not on my story anymore? Like you've set me free, that, that, that shame is no longer my name, I've been set free because of you. And we're told that Jesus did all of this for us. And it just caught me like, so why? And yes, because God loves me, the Bible tells me so, absolutely. 
But here we see a deeper reason for the why. And we're told that he did this. And here's why. For the joy set before him. He did all of this. He was experiencing the reality of something greater in his story that enabled him to endure this, to scorn the shame. He was looking forward to something greater, a transcendent joy that was coming. And so it causes me just to ask the question, so Jesus, what was that joy? And in this, he realized that this is how he was going to reclaim everything that was lost. That means you and me. Jesus, what was the joy set before you? You were part of that joy. I was part of that joy. That when he was going to the cross, he had us in his mind so he could set us free. If you've ever been wrestling in the story, do I matter? The cross shows that you matter deeply. That Jesus loves you incredibly. That he wants to bring you into new life that there's hope in that story because the joy set before him enabled him to endure it so that we could have the hope of something new, this new life with him. And this is what I love, that Jesus talks to us about this joy and then he shows us how it worked in his own life so that we look to him and we're like, okay, that's the path. I'm gonna follow you. I wanna experience this. So Jesus, I want this joy in my story. So just let me ask you this question. Where are you looking for joy today? Because I'm looking for it. How about you? Where are you looking for joy today? And I love what we see here in Hebrews. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. We look to Jesus. Because not only is he our role model, he's also our source. Because whose joy is it? It's the Lord's joy. And the joy of the Lord is our strength. So he's our source. He's our source of power. He's our source of life. He's our source of hope because he's incredible. This is why Jesus will say in John 15, he says, hey, remain in me and I'll remain in you. Apart from me, you could probably figure it out if you're strong enough. Is that what he says? No. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. And he doesn't say that to make less of us. He says that to invite us into a relationship with him so he can make more of us with him. Apart from me, you can do, so remain in me. And this is why it's so important that as we're looking to Jesus, we continue to trust him with all of us because he wants to empower us to live life. I think one of the dangers when it comes to getting close to Jesus is that we can get close enough to get comfortable, but we don't get close enough to actually surrender ourselves to him. And this happens sometimes. We'll look at Jesus and we're like, well, Jesus, I think you're just this beautiful picture of what a good human looks like. But if that's all Jesus is, we may admire him, but I'm pretty sure we're never going to worship him because you only worship someone that you believe is greater than yourself. And if all Jesus is is a good example of what, what a human should look like, like we may actually like quote him sometimes, especially if you have like your favorite verse that shuts someone else down. <laughs> but I may not listen to him when he talks to me about things I don't know if I want to hear. If Jesus is just an example of what a good human is, I, I may like him sometimes, but I'm not sure I will actually fully surrender my whole heart to him. It's not until I begin to realize, Jesus, you're so much greater than what I will sometimes give you credit for. And if that's all that Jesus is to you, you will never experience this transcendent joy because that's a joy that's beyond you. That's a joy that's other than you. It's not a strength that comes from your own gumption or gusto or because somehow you've got good vibes going. You cannot will it into existence because it's not your joy. Whose joy is it? It's his joy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. And there's a beautiful freedom that comes when we begin to realize that, that this joy is not dependent on you. And it's not dependent on me. My bad days do not determine that joy. It's not dependent on my affective disposition or my brain chemistry. It's a joy that's greater than me. And when we get that, we're suddenly set free to get over ourselves in the best of ways. And we can get back to the business of giving Jesus all of us so we can begin to experience all of him at work in us. 
We can come and say, Jesus, here, here I am. Here's my whole heart. Here's the good. Here's the bad. <laughs> Here's the ugly. But I give all of me to you. Would you fill me with all of who you are? Because I need the hope of something greater. This fickle heart needs to know that you can do something greater than what I'm trying to figure out on my own. So when your heart is getting fickle and you're asking this question, where's my joy? Stop and ask a different question. Who is my joy? Because that is a fundamentally different question that will begin to reorient the conversation you're having with Jesus. Because so often in my life, I'm looking around, I'm like, where's my joy? I have the stuff, it's not enough. Where's my joy? I have the relationships, they're not enough. Where's my joy? I look to the universe. Universe, where's my joy? Have you ever noticed the universe doesn't answer back? I don't say this to be mean, but here's the reality. The universe doesn't care about us. Because it's a thing. But there is a creator of the cosmos who cares about us. He's our joy. Jesus, I'm looking to you to show up in my story. Would you do something? Help me in this moment. Help me to see beyond what is holding me down, the hurts, the hangups, the things that just got their grip on me to see you at work in my story. There's this beautiful picture that we have in the lives of some of his first followers in the book of Acts, Acts is this beautiful story if you read it. It's the history of the first followers of Jesus. So Jesus has now done what he said he was going to promise to do. He said, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, and I'll come back for you someday. And we're still kind of like, okay, when? When? But Acts is now them figuring out what do we do, this life that you've given us, your spirit at work in us. And in Acts 16, we see this beautiful story of two of the early Christian leaders. These guys, Paul and Silas. And God had gotten a hold of their lives and transformed them. They'd encountered Jesus and their lives were changed forever. And so they're going around the world that they know at that time, sharing this good news, this message of Jesus with anyone who has ears to hear it. And in Acts 16, we see this incredible moment take place. That They'd gone to the city of Philippi and they've encountered some people that were God-fearing people that then encountered Jesus. And so they're starting this, this movement there and, and they're having this incredible time. And so they've been there for a few days. And, and as Paul and Silas are kind of walking around the city, they notice this, this young girl would begin to follow them. And they realize that there's something off with her. And we're told that she was being oppressed by a demonic spirit to the point that she had this weird ability to kind of look at people and prophesy things about them. So she was actually a slave to some people in the city. So she's in double bondage. She's in demonic bondage and human bondage. And so she's following Paul and Silas around and she's saying stuff like, these guys are telling you the truth about God. It's weird. It's like, well, she's helping their message, but she's under demonic oppression. And we're told in the story that one day Paul just kind of gets sick of it. It's so, it says like Paul was annoyed that she's doing this. And so Paul turns to her and he says, in the name of Jesus, get out of her. He's not saying that to her. He's saying that to the demonic force and it listens and flees. And in this moment, she's set free. But her masters are pissed off because they just lost their money train. And so they riled the entire town after Paul and Silas to come after them. And this is what we see going on in the story, Acts 16, 22. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. And after they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And when he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were, pause. I oftentimes, when I'm reading through the stories, I try to imagine myself, what if I were there? Like, what if I were there walking in this moment and hearing Jesus say these things? How would I respond? And I try to do this. And so in this moment, I'm trying to like picture this. And I think, okay, what if, what if that was me in that moment? What if that was you and I in that moment together? And we're reading the story of us. How would it read? We're looking at this and we just experienced this. Me and Joel were, if I'm leading us, this is how it's gonna go. Me and Joel, we're complaining. Are you kidding me? God, why would you let this happen? 
We just experienced amazing things in this moment. We helped bring freedom to this woman who was oppressed. We should be celebrated as heroes. Why is this happening in our story? Me and Joel were shaking our fists to heaven. How dare you, God? Who do you think you are? Why are you letting this happen? But not them. Because they're experiencing something that's transforming them in this moment. Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening to them. What's their response? Worship. Jesus, you're so incredible. You're so great. You've done something in our story. These circumstances suck, but you don't. You're still good. You're still great. You're so good that in this moment we are finding joy because your strength is in the story with us. And their joy is overflowing around them that the other prisoners are like, what's going on with these guys? Like, yeah, I think that would be a weird moment for one of those guys in the prison, right? Like he just got busted drunk and disorderly. He's thrown into the tank. And now here's these two guys that had it a lot worse than you because they were beaten and they're in the stocks. But they're singing and they're full of something that you don't have. Like what? Like if I'm them, I'm like, what's, I want what, whatever you're, you're smoking, I want it. Like what is this that's going on? It's the joy of the Lord is their strength in this moment. And then suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Because when worship happens, people are set free. And so in this moment, here they are. And there's this reality that they're experiencing. Joy is not without pain. But the joy they're experiencing is greater than anything. And I think this is such a hope that we can have in our own story. That joy doesn't deny the reality of the circumstance we find ourselves in, but it empowers us in the middle of it. And it enables us to face it. And joy defies the temporary in anticipation of the greater thing to come. And that's Jesus at work in our story. And this is why they're worshiping in this moment. Because they realize that Jesus is doing something in and through them. Which is why worship is so much more than just singing songs. Like when you and I get to worship together, when we come into this place and we worship Jesus together, it's like something transcendent is going on. It's like the curtain is being peeled back and we're getting a glimpse of the hope that we have. This is why I show up here every week, for two weeks now, but I show up here <laughs> every week because I'm telling you, by Wednesday, this fickle heart is in full effect and I need to come back and be reminded, no, there's a greater hope in my story. There's a Jesus who has changed me and is changing me and come what may, I have the hope of him in my life and I need my brothers and sisters around me to remind me of that as we declare him in this place. And it's a moment together when we come into his presence and we are reminded that Jesus, you're my joy. And because of you, I have hope in my story. Here is all of me. Fill me once again because I wanna get back at it and I wanna see other people set free in the same way you've set me free. I love it that when Jesus was born, do you remember what the angels declared to the shepherds? Joy to the world. The Lord has come because the joy of the Lord is our strength. And so we're gonna go into a time of worship right now and I wanna invite you to bring all of yourself into this moment. If you're hurting, bring it. If you're excited, bring it. If you're confused, bring it. Because through this time of worship, some chains are gonna fall off in this place today. We're gonna set loose those who are in bondage today. And so Jesus, we're coming in this moment. We're coming in this moment. We're coming in hot because you've got life for us. And I'm coming and I'm asking you, can you help me? This fickle heart. Because I need the hope of you in my story. And so in this moment, we just come before you and we make this song our prayer. We make this song our declaration. We bring all of ourselves to you and ask that you would do something again. 
And so here in this place, come and meet with us. Remind us of who you are because you are our joy. And you are greater than anything.